0: O holy mystery, for sadnesses we cannot yet fully name, for the pain of broken trust, for disappointments hollow and heavy, for anticipation of emerging possibilities, for relief echoed in a sigh, for persistent hope, for the communities we belong to, for those we hold and who hold us, for the many ways that we are wounded, that we cause harm, and that we can heal, for commitment rising like sap in spring. May we be expressions of the love that will not let us go. So good morning everybody, good morning and welcome. Welcome to Essex Church and to this, our gathered community of Kensington Unitarians. A community where you can be yourself. Just because the sun is shining gloriously this morning, we don't expect you to be in a great mood. We're glad you're here, however you're feeling. Whatever you're carrying in your heart, whatever religions you have known, whatever God you accept or deny, whatever your heritage or culture, you are welcome here. Whoever you are, whomever you love, whatever body you live in, you're welcome here. My ministry colleague Danny Crosby, who some of you will have met, he often starts his services by saying, come as you are, just don't expect to leave in the same condition. <laughs> but he's got such a lovely big presence, I always experience that as slightly threatening, really. <laughs> I hope you won't be listening to this in a podcast in some future months. But I'm quietly hopeful that you'll leave in a better condition than the one you've arrived in this morning because I think it does us good to gather with other people, to make time, to sing, to think and talk and to be silent. Today's Palm Sunday, the first day of Christianity's Holy Week, marking Jesus's triumphant journey into Jerusalem. And I invite you to just take a moment to settle yourself now and to accept yourself as you are right now. To accept any response you have to the idea of a holy week. Perhaps let go of any niggles from your morning. That bit of you that would rather have stayed in bed perhaps, or are now wondering if you would have done better going out for a walk in the park. Let's just consciously choose to be here now and to create this as a sacred time and a sacred space made holy by our choosing to be together i don't know where i keep getting these stories from well except i do know where i keep getting these stories from because i keep finding books i'm having a clear out at present and 70 books had to go, and this book was in the clear out pile until I actually looked at it. And it, you know, I don't know, do you have these sorts of books that you thought looked great but you never read? It's, I've had it for years, and there it is The Transformative Power of Crisis Our Journey to Psychological Healing and Spiritual Awakening. It's a marvellous book. So I've still got a few left to clear out. Um, But this story is, no way, a children's story. And we're going to attempt to do a double act. We are. Who starts? Unless you want to read that. Oh, I could read that. It's called The Goose in the Bottle. That's why I thought the children ought to leave, because I seem to have got a whole series of stories that are unpleasant in relation to birds at present. And for this one, you really need to imagine one of those giant glass flagons, and there's a perfectly healthy goose. In there, I ask you.
1: (laughs) I'm feeling bad about my work today, said Murray.
0: Well you always feel bad about something, I replied. I know. Why do I feel bad about everything? That's not the important question. The important question is where do you feel bad about everything? I don't understand. Well, then I'll tell you a riddle, I said. I have got by far the best part of this. I'd like you all to know. (laughs) You look really foolish, don't you? Anyway, I'll tell you a riddle, I said. There's a goose in a bottle. It's a big, fat, healthy goose. And it's sitting at the bottom of one of those large bottles with a round bottom and a long, thin neck. A flagon, I think they call it. The riddle is, how do you get the goose out of the bottle without breaking, cracking, melting, vaporising, or changing the bottle in any way? And without squeezing, squooshing, melting, vaporising, chopping, that's awful, chopping, or changing the goose in any way?
1: Murray thought about it for a few minutes, and then shrugged his shoulders. Make time go backwards, he said, until the goose is a gosling, or even an egg. And it shall be small enough that you can get it out the neck of the bottle.
0: Mm, Good try, but you can't make time go back in this riddle. And besides, the neck is too narrow for even a gosling or an egg to pass through. Then I give up,
1: he said. It can't be done.
0: Yes, it can. I'll give you a hint. I'll give you four hints. Who put the goose in the bottle? And when? And why? And with what?
1: He thought about it. I don't know, he said.
0: Sure you do. Who put the goose in the bottle?
1: He looked at me, blankly.
0: You did. When? (laughs) About two minutes ago. Why? Because I told you to. And with what?
1: A flash of light came into his eyes and he smiled. With my
0: mind, he said. Right. You put the goose in the bottle with your mind. (laughs) So now take the goose out of the bottle with your mind. He sat
1: looking into the distance for a few moments, smiled and then looked at me and nodded. Okay. It's out, he said.
0: And the point of the
1: riddle? He stared into space for for an instant. It's my mind. The problem's not in my life. It's in
0: my mind the question we're left with is, how many problems in our lives are really in our minds? How many geese do we have in bottles up here? Well, let's take them out now. And I think my character is frankly a smug git and should, should be hit over the head with this book that isn't going to the charity shop just yet. When I finished with it, it's, it's there to be borrowed. And (laughs) that's very sweet, Jane. We've got the children leaf for their own (laughs) programme That's very spring-like, isn't it? The children have leafed already for their programme. (laughs) And I invite you to join now in a time of prayer and reflection. Outside spring is at its exuberant best. The birds are singing, blossom and spring bulbs bring colour to our streets and gardens. There's a warmth in that sun. So as I call on the divine spirit of life and love, the God of many names and none, to be with us as always. And to bless all that we say and do together here this day I invite you in a few moments of stillness held now together to find something in your heart for which you give thanks. you to think of a concern from your own life and perhaps imagine holding that in your hand and then gently laying it down somewhere safe letting it be. I invite you similarly to choose a concern that you have for our wider world and to imagine holding that in your hands. And then allowing that also to be placed in a safe space where it can be held, but not by you. And then if this image works for you, I invite you to imagine all the love that you hold in your heart. And imagine how light that is, almost like an energy. And imagine that love rippling outwards to our wider world, a wondrous, rippling effect of love and compassion reaching out across our world linking with others holding us all Amen.
1: This poem, by an anonymous author, was passed on to Jack Cornfield, the contemporary Buddhist writer, by a student at a retreat. It invites us to look differently at where we are in time and space as we live our lives, And even to think of ourselves as a gleam in someone else's eye. Life is tough. It takes a lot of your time, all your weekends. And what do you get at the end of it? Death. A great reward. I think that the cycle of life is all backwards. You should die first, get it out of the way. Then you live twenty years in an old age home and you're kicked out when you're too young. You get a gold watch and you go to work. You work 40 years until you're young enough to enjoy your retirement. You go to college. You party until you're ready for high school. You become a little kid. You play. You have no responsibilities. You become a little boy or girl. You go back into the womb. You spend your last nine months floating and you finish off as a gleam in someone's eye.
0: I, um, I drove through Highgate the other night and was, I was completely taken aback to see a large area outside a house Uh, filled with flowers and photos and cuddly toys, along with messages hanging from the branches of trees. And they have been left there to honour George Michael, a a pop singer who died in December. Um, Do you you have strong feelings about such public displays of loss and grieving? It's it's something I have opinions about. I have to kind of damp them down a bit. I think in the end my concern comes down to a wariness about adulation of any kind. I wonder what's behind it, beneath it. And if I explore that wariness further, in me I think there is a fear of crowds that can so easily turn. Their affection changed now to rage or disappointment. And this all fits with this eastern narrative of Jesus's triumphant arrival into around Jerusalem for the Passover it's, it's a clear example of, of such a turnaround depending on which gospel account you read the adoring crowds throng the roadside and they throw down their garments before him a, a great honor do such a thing or in John's Gospel account they lay down palms before him the Roman symbol of victory and power yet within a few days that crowd will be crying out crucify him crucify him and when given a choice by weary Pontius Pilate of a prisoner to be freed they famously shout the name Barabbas they choose a criminal to be freed in honour of the Passover feast our Unitarian faith has its origins in the Reformation. It's 500 years this year since uh, Martin Luther spoke out so powerfully against the abuse of power within the Catholic Church. Uh, one of the limitations he was fighting against was having the Bible only written in Latin. He and many others had started to translate the Bible into ordinary languages that ordinary people could read and understand. What is it they say? Knowledge is power, the power of the word. Now over the years here at Essex Church, we've held a number of groups looking more closely at the Bible. One I remember most vividly was where we were looking at the connections between the Old and the New Testaments. And if you do that, it quickly becomes apparent that those who were writing these documents that were eventually collected together as the New Testament knew the books of prophecy knew them intimately, knew them off by heart that we now call the Old Testament. This journey into Jerusalem of Jesus is described by the prophet Zechariah. Be full of joy, O people of Zion. Call out in a loud voice, O people of Jerusalem. See, your king is coming to you. He is fair and good and has the power to save. He is not proud, he sits on a donkey, on the son of a female donkey. So, this is establishing Jesus as the long awaited Messiah of the Jewish faith, the anointed one, the Saviour, who comes not as an all powerful conquering king, but in humility. And as an oversensitive child, when I heard these narratives, I used to think, don't go to Jerusalem. Don't let them do this to you. Take another path, another road. And as an adult, it leaves me thinking about words like fate and destiny. I wonder how you use such words, if at all. I wonder if you think that fate and destiny have an external existence, or are they all in the mind, as the story of the goose in the glass jar told us earlier. In theological terms, our Unitarian faith path was one that rejected the concept of predestination, particularly in its narrow Calvinist sense of some of us being chosen and some of us not, of the dice already having been cast, your fate already chosen, but not for you to know. But of course many religions have a wider concept that our lives are in God's hands and in God's choosing, God willing, inshallah, in Arabic. You'll have heard people say and perhaps use such terms yourself, Deo Volente, DV, you'll see it often written on old texts and letters. Deo valente, God willing. Still used frequently in Catholic cultures. And I sometimes do some, use something similar myself, I don't know if you do this, almost as a sus- superstitious counterbalance, if I think I'm getting too full of my dreams and schemes. That statement made by John Lennon is popular, isn't it, as a reminder. that it's human to think we're in charge of the show yet life doesn't always go according to our plans life happens as we're busy making other plans there's been an excellent um, series of Lent talks on Radio 4 recently considering concepts like fate and destiny from various perspectives they're well worth listening to if you have the time Um, one of the many ideas touched on is this one of perspective Depending on our age and where we were born and our economic and cultural circumstances, the question of how much influence we have over our own lives can be answered very, very differently. It's very much part of 21st century Western capitalism, with its emphasis on the individual, to encourage the view that we can be anything, we can do anything, that we put our mind to. A deeper spiritual perspective, though, reminds us that the only freedom sometimes left to us is the freedom to adjust our thinking, our attitudes, our responses in the face of what is and what must be. I wonder as you consider your own life how many life paths you have actually chosen or sought out and how many simply arrived before you how many life paths were chosen for you by others. I think it's a conversation to continue over a cup of tea. Amen. And so may we step bravely out into the mystery that is life this day and in the days ahead. May we flow with that which is And when we make a choice, may we do so with love always there to guide us as we step out into the unknown of all that is. Amen. Go well and blessed be.